Yeah. Amen. And as we always do in reverence to God and his holy word, please stand to your feet as we read Revelation chapter 10 this morning. Praise the Lord. It's all right, sugar. You're going to be all right. Chapter 10, verse 1. It begins as follows. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, and there would be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet called to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Verse 8. And the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Verse 11, and I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. You may now be seated. Father, we thank you for life. We thank you for the assignments. We thank you for the purpose. We thank you for the call that you have placed on us, that you have anointed us to do, the, to do this very thing, to carry out our assignment. As we sit here today in the church, we come collectively together to grow spiritually. That way we are effective in the ministry outside these walls. We pray that you would continue to strengthen us, that we are bold to proclaim the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. We are thankful that you have sent, both of you have sent the Holy Spirit to us to seal us for our day of redemption, but also to convict us, to grow us, to guide us, and to lead us in all things as we grow in the church. We thank you for the leadership that you have given us, the qualities that you have placed within us, and the attributes that you have blessed us with, that we are able to go forth and proclaim the good news, but unafraid to share the bad news, that there's incredible meaning and mercy and grace with the good news. We give you glory and honor in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why do we believe today? Why do you believe today? Why can someone say that you are a believer? And someone can say that about you is because that your life has been transformed. You are no longer who you used to be, but that you are a new creation in Christ. Can I get an amen in this place if you've been changed? Amen. Does someone know that you've been changed? Or are you still the same way you were last year or even when you got saved in 10 years ago? You should be entirely different. Amen. You should be different that people would notice the change in your life. 
that you are uncommon, you're not like everybody else, but that you stand out today. In this world that we live in, you need to stand out and be a witness to the glory of God. Now, for you young people that are here today, I pray that you are listening because this message is really, really tailed to you. Because if it's tailed to you, it's, 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 it's thought out to you, maybe you might listen a little bit today. But because there's so much evil in the world, and the question that everyone asks is, why does God allow evil? When someone dies, we want to ask that very question, why does God allow evil? And we can talk about that, and we're going to talk about that today because there's a lot of reasons why God allows evil. But we want to take a good look about who you are first. Who are you? Who are you? And this is the problem here, because a lot of us don't want to take a look and see who we are and the things that we do that are evil. But we just want to look at the great scale of things and say, why did that person shoot all those people and why didn't God do anything about it? But did you ever notice that sometimes you get angry and you get mad, you high schoolers, you get mad if you have a brand new shoe on. And someone walks and steps on your shoe by accident, how are you going to act? And the things that come out of your mouth, the things that you say when someone steps on your shoe, or God forbid if they just accidentally trip you, and how you fall and stumble and fall when they trip you and embarrass you in front of the whole school year. Or how about my school when I was in high school, what they did to me then, when you walk in with your books, and when you walk with your books in high school, somebody just come, a senior come from behind and just pop them right out. And they fly all over the place in front of everybody and you're scattering looking for your books and you're mad and you're cussing. You're saying bad things in your head and you want to shout something down at them. Don't you think that's an act of evil? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But we want to blame God because somebody knocked the books out of our head. We want to blame God because we have a problem with our own anger. and We have a problem with the way we've been brought up and how we disrespect the ones that God has placed in position to guide us and lead us that we lash out and act in an evil manner. But you want to blame God for the big things and blame God for all the things that you see in the world and why the tsunami took out 200,000 people, why there was an earthquake that took out so many people. Where was God? Why did he allow this very thing? We're going to study about it today, and I pray that you are listening intently so that you can get your answer here today. Let's follow along in verse 1. And the reason why we're going to follow along in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 10, why does God allow evil is very, very important because before this, before we read this, we're going to read the end of 9. And when we read the end of 9, you're going to find that after all these judgments that took place, In Revelation chapter 8, the plagues and the judgments of God, which parallel the Exodus story. You can read these same plagues that happened in the story of Exodus, which are parallel to what happens here. And it's parallel one to another. And all these incredible judgments of God where life is taken. You finally come to verse 20, chapter 9, verse 20, right before 10. I'm going to read this because the power of God has gone forth. Judgment has hit the earth. People are dying. And watch what happens. Verse 20 says this. The rest of mankind were not killed by these plagues. Did not repent of the works of their hands. Nor give up worship. Worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood. Which cannot see, hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murderers or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. 
So you have all this stuff that takes place. The judgment of God comes, and it's all over America. It's all over the world, Western culture in America, and Eastern culture as well. The, these, these plagues and the type of judgments that have gone forth, people dying in wars every day. People are dying today. People are being killed, matter of fact, right now, and they're dying. There's bloodshed all over the world. And God's judgment has come, and those who die without Christ then face God and are cast into outer darkness. And yet people who know these things and see all these things that are happening, they don't repent. There's no repentance. They don't repent of their sexual immorality. They don't repent from it. They don't repent idols and worshiping of idols and worshiping demons. They don't repent of these very things. And these are things that are made with human hands that they worship, they do, they do not repent from. Well, what do you mean an idol? Anything that's placed before God is an idol. If, if you don't worship Jesus, and you worship you, that, something that takes its place is an idol. And I explained this before. If this is the beginning of the, this is the August month. This is a great time for us as men and for women who love football. And so football is coming up. Right, And there's that first game of the season when you guys are all excited to see the Pittsburgh Steelers play. And so you're all excited about it. And it becomes so, so exciting for you that you'll decide whether or not you want to go to church or not. That's like an idol. Whatever you place before God is an idol. How about this? If you don't want to come to church because you don't have time to do your hair, then what do you put before God is an idol. If, if, if all these other things take place and you say, well, I don't like the way I look today. And I don't have the, my shirt ain't ironed. And I, there's things I don't want to show up for because I just don't want to show up like that. Well, guess what? Then you are looking at yourself as an idol. Because you have too much vanity that you worry about what you look like that somebody here is going to look and say, look at that shirt. You put that before God, that is an idol. Now, with sexual immorality, people put their own sexual preference as a way of identifying themselves. That too becomes an idol. But how can these people change? How can people who worship idols and worship demons, and the ones that worship, worship the demons are the ones that go and get their palms red. Have you ever seen people lined up to see their palms red at like a parking swap? Have you ever seen people walk into those tarot card places? Those are people who worship demons. And there's a lot of demon worship going on here. Now, for you young people that like to listen to secular music, if you listen to that music and you listen to what they're saying, all that stuff is is demonic that's getting into your spirit so that you can go have sex. So that you can go get drunk. So that you can go get high. That's all it does is feed your spirit because there's so much demonic activity that's going on in that music that it would open up your eyes and you would see the truth if God would reveal it to you. Pray that it would be revealed. Every year I would do this message about the Illuminati, about the movies and the music industry, about what's really behind it all because I was actually able to part to see a lot of what goes behind the scenes with the music and the movie industry. And so... That stuff really gets your attention. I can talk about the movies and that'll get your attention. I can talk about the music and that'll get your attention. I can talk about all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes at the award show with all the drugs and all the sexual worship and all the homosexuality and all that stuff. That will get your attention. But if I talk about the love of Jesus, for some reason, that doesn't get your attention. 
It just doesn't get your attention. Because you don't want to... Jesus loves me and all this other stuff. And But you got to know what we're talking about, the judgment of God here. Why we can change, why people who are in these pews today, your mothers and your fathers that have changed because they worship the true living God who has changed their life, that they care so much that they would bring you to church, that we would worship God together because we have been transformed. We were crazy too. We were drunks too. We got high too. We partied too. We did all that sexing and drugs too. But we got saved and redeemed and justified by the power of God that we have been set free. So you young people, don't go that way that we've already went. Don't go that way. We've already been there and done that. There ain't nothing you're going to do in your life that's brand new because there's nothing new under the sun. It's already been done. Already been done. Ain't nothing you're going to do in the next 20, from 2020 to 2030 that we haven't already done. Nothing at all. It just ends up in death. So when your best friend dies in a car accident, you want to blame God. When your best friend gets some type of a disease and dies and gets sick, you want to blame God. But listen, we are making choices that come to ourselves that put us in that position. Where death would come, where judgment would come. That's why I bring the kids up here. And I pray for the kids, for the angels of God, to surround them, protect them. Yes. And that we give them Jesus, it helps in their decision making. But these people who saw the judgments of God throughout the earth and they survived, still didn't repent. They did not repent. I went to see a movie, and, I, and, I, and my brother's here today, he's in the back. I love him. And we talk about seeing Jesus in everything. Seeing Jesus in the scriptures and everything. I went to see a movie, because I like movies, and I went to see that movie. I'm just going to blow it for all of you guys. You guys haven't seen it. For you young people, don't go watch it. But for you older people, I guess you can go watch it. I'm not like real legalistic, like you can't go watch a movie. Because we do watch movies. I watched this movie called The Equalizer. Oh, yeah! <laughs> I watched The Equalizer 2, number 2. Yeah. I'm sitting there watching this movie, and I see Jesus do everything. And what I saw was this young man who was... He had a good intentions to be an artist, and he's painting this thing. But his friends come. His friend, he has a, he has a, he has a, a career choice. He's, he's thinking about my future in art, my future in, in making, this, making this my life. But his friends come and pull him away because of drugs and alcohol. His friends come and pull him away. All of a sudden, he forgets his ambition. He forgets his career. He forgets his goals and everything. And he finds himself back in a drug dealer's house surrounded by guns, surrounded by women, surrounded by big strong people that wouldn't let him go and he could not get out if he tried. He was stuck there until Denzel Washington shows up. He finds him, he finds him, goes in there and pulls him out against his will. Pulled him out. Brought him to the bottom of the, of, the, of the projects and got in his face and said just what I just said about two minutes ago about being there and already done that. You ain't going to do nothing under the sun that ain't already been done. So he says this. So I see Jesus in that very thing because Jesus did the same thing for both you and me. He pulled us out against our will. It wasn't something that I did. I had God, God just grabbed a hold of me and set me free and changed my life and grabbed me and got a hold of me. Took me out of the clubs, took me out of the strip club, took me from crack, and took me from being a bad husband and all this other stuff. And I see Jesus through everything.
things so we can see Jesus here in the scripture. That's why it's important for us to show the love of Christ to those who are homosexual. Show the love of Christ to them because God does not cast the act of homosexuality into hell. He casts the one who does homosexuality into hell. Now, just like murderers, people who hate, people who don't have no love, people who are walking around angry all the time, you don't have to kill somebody, according to the Bible, to be a murderer. You can hate somebody and be full of hate and anger in your life and be sent to hell. That's why we need to preach and share the love of Christ to those who are bound by this wickedness right here. Those who will worship the devil. Those who worship and, and, and find ways to try to hear from, from God or the paranormal. Another thing about you young people today that you really like is that paranormal thing. You want to ghost chase and do all this other stuff. But what you need is Jesus to change your heart, to change your thinking, to remove the idol worship that you actually worship as idols. Those are idols and that these people did not repent even after the judgment of God had come to them. They didn't repent. So we pray for God's sovereignty and for the people, for for God to draw those ones that we love in to his presence. That they may be a spiritual awakening. But we are to love on these individuals. Not be hard like I'm doing up here right now yelling at you. You ain't supposed to treat them like that. I can treat you like that because I'm your pastor. I can yell at you and say this stuff. But out there, you know, it's like, Pastor, you're two different people. When you come off that pulpit, you don't act like this. No, because I'm, you got to be different. you got to show the love of Christ. But up here, the Holy Spirit, this is something different. So we got to love on each other. we got to show the love to these people that they are compelled to see the love of Christ and they come to Christ through us. That God uses us. Let's move on. And we're going to talk about this even more. Verse 1 says this in chapter 10, verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud and a rainbow over his head. So what you're seeing here is something symbolic. This is symbolic meaning here. Okay, this angel that comes down, John pauses the action here. He's no longer talking about the judgment of God and God's judgments and, and the tribulation. Here he pauses and talks about this angel and this little scroll. So but what is he saying here? This is something symbolic. John pauses here and he describes who this angel is and what he's holding. Wrapped around a cloud with a rainbow over his head. Now we know what the rainbow means. We should know what the rainbow means, church family. It's a sign of God's covenant and his mercy and his promise to us as as humans and humanity that he would not flood the earth. But here we see another rainbow over his head and his face was like the sun and his legs like a like pillars of fire and he had a little scroll open in his hand this book that he had there and left his and I was left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring now here we see the symbolic message of this huge angel one foot in on, in the water one foot on the land huge rainbow of his head sign of the covenant of mercy and he has this scroll in his hand and this scroll is the judgment of God This scroll is the power of God. This scroll is all the stuff that will take place before Christ returns. We believe Christ will return. We don't know the day or the hour or the time. We know that he will return. We all need to be ready. And so there's this scroll, this book that he's going to give to John. And this is something symbolically. And he says this, and and he had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he called out with a loud voice, 
like a lion roaring. How many of you have ever heard a lion roar? And I'm not just with your surround sound and watching, you know, something at home and you hear the lion roar. But if you ever physically hear a lion roar, it's an incredible, frightening sound. I can remember going to the uh, Christmas, I think we went Christmas the last year, doing the zoo lights, we're walking and, and I, I thought I heard a lion roar. And it was so powerful that I realized it wasn't a lion roaring. It was that dinosaur exhibit thing that had gone on over there. But I, nonetheless, it was a frightening, frightening, loud roar. So I can imagine this, this, this angel with a loud roar signifying victory, signifying power. And when you see a lion and you hear its roar, there's something terrifying about it. It's, symbol, it's, it's, it's symbolic of its kingship and victory for, for us. And then you read this in verse 4. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the left and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him, making an oath who lives forever, who created heaven and what is in it and earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it and there would be no more delay meaning evil will come to an end there's going to come a time that evil will come to an end there will be no more sickness there will be no more dying there will be no more crying there will be no more aches and pains there will be no more sciatic nerve messing with you there'll be nothing and it will come to an end it will come to an end. And so this angel raises his right hand and he, he makes an oath to God. He makes an oath to God and he acknowledges God as creator, as the eternal self-existent God who creates all things. And he takes this oath and he, and he raises his right hand, which is symbolic of power. And he acknowledges who God is. Now for us in the world, we are like that as well that we know that we have been saved by God, that we can declare that he is creator of all things, that he is God almighty, and that he has power and he is in control of all things. And we acknowledge that very thing, that there is a God who does exist. But what you have contrary to this, and this is the reason why he takes a note, is because you have contrary to this, you have people who are secularists or secularism or humanism, and then you have atheists. You have people who oppose this belief. And like today, and you see on, on TV and a lot of talk show hosts, they are actual atheists or agnostic. They don't believe in God Almighty. They believe that there may be a God, but there can't be a God who would allow so much evil in the world. So you have this belief. But we believe something entirely different. We believe by faith that Christ is the son of the living God. We believe by faith that he came to live the life that we could not live so that his righteousness would be imputed into us that we can stand before God the Father and worship him and go to him. So we believe this by faith that God does exist, that Christ does exist. Logos, there was beginning, there was no beginning nor end with Christ, that he was there in the beginning with God as John 1 and 1 states. In the beginning was the Word. Some of you people, you youth, should know this already because you've been taught this before. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And so we believe this very thing, but there are people in the world that will challenge your belief. There are people in the world that will challenge what you believe when you go to school yes. or when you go to work. 
They'll say God doesn't exist. And they'll put you on the defense to try to explain to them why God doesn't exist. But you don't need to be on the defenses. Let them try to explain to you why they believe God doesn't exist. Because we already have our position. You're not changing our mind. We know what we believe. So you go ahead and be on the defensive. You tell me why you don't believe God exists. Is there good in the world? Was I going to say yeah? Is there evil in the world? I'm going to say yeah. Well, how do you know there's any good then? And they'll say, well, because people generally are good people. Well, then what do you, how, how do you measure your good versus evil? Well, you have some type of moral law then, right? You believe something morally is right. Well, where do you get that from? You get that from God. You get that from God. God is the one that gives us the moral law. It determines what is good and what is evil. But the problem with us as humans and why Christ would come is the Bible tells us in, in the book of Romans that there is none righteous, no, not one, and no one seeks after God. That's why you young people, we pray for you young people, we pray for you teens, that you'll get it, that you understand that you'll listen to the gospel and come to him by faith, that he would change your life. But you have this, our kids, they have this, this season where they just want to rebel. I don't care what I heard on Sunday. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what I heard mom say or dad say about the Bible. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to find my own way. Now, <laughs> I had, I was talking to Aaron. We were talking about his niece who I used to, cons- his, his cousin who's my niece, who I used to consider like a daughter. And so I said, I remember her telling me one time, just saying, you know what? I know what you believe, I know what I believe, and I know what all the other families believe, but I need to go ahead and do this anyway. I need to go and find my own way. But you're like, no, what's wrong with you? You don't have to do that because you're going to find yourself in the same mess that we were once in. And guess what happens? They find themselves in that same mess that we were once in, and we're the ones trying to bail them out. It happens all the time. It happened in 1920, 1930, 1950, all the way up until now. It happened then, it happens now. It doesn't change. But there'll be a day when evil will come to an end. It's, it's, it's no more delay. There's no more delay. Why does God allow evil? First of all, we know that God is holy. God is righteous. God is just, God is sovereign, meaning God is in complete control. What is man? Man is sinful, man is unrighteous, man is guilty, and man is out of control. One action by one man can ruin many lives. One man, because his sinful nature causes him so much however he may have been brought up whatever may have hurt him in the past he then decides one day to buy a gun or to make a bomb or do something and he's going to pay back and take as much life out as he can because of one man's action he can take out many lives and when he does this there's no warning there's nothing to say nothing nothing that would show you that something like this is going to happen and then it happens and then people die people are maimed and the first thing that they do is they blame God for it they blame God for it but then you find out that the man who made the bomb or the man who was angry probably was brought up 
in gang violence. Probably was brought up in domestic violence. Probably was hooked on drugs. Probably never had someone show love or even hug this person. All these other things that attribute to what one day would be an outrage of incredible uh, terrorists and destruction takes out many lives. And where does it begin? We don't know what happens at home with you young people. We don't know what happens to people who are outside the church and how they live. We don't know what goes on in their house. We don't know what goes on there. But we know that we have Christ Jesus who changes our heart and that shows us that what true love is because his father sends his son to the world to live the life that we couldn't live so that we could be changed individuals knowing because the love of God compels us and we worship him and we change him. We change him because God changes us. But when you see actions like this happen and people wonder, well, why did this take place? Why does God allow evil? Well, man is evil. Man is evil. And because of what happens and tragedies that happen, you get two responses. One, you get people turn bitter on God. Because something like that, people turn bitter and they begin to hate God. But you have the other response. And the other response is that people then come to God. My brother who's teaching today was actually at one of the Twin Towers, inside the Twin Towers, before it collapsed. And that's Santiago. He was there. He was in New York City. And he saw the entire devastation. Now, he could blame God and say, God, did, you know, why did God allow this thing? Why did the planes go through and, and destroy those buildings? But through that, it was an eye-opener, a spiritual awakening for him that he would come to know Christ through the devastation because of the loss of life. Some people turn to Christ. Some people turn to him as the meaning and the source of life when others will rebel and become bitter at God. You get two responses. And we deal with death all the time. As pastor, I deal with death all the time. I can remember giving a funeral about this woman and she was murdered. She was shot in the head and then she was, they, they overkilled her. And they asked me to, to, to give the sermon and the eulogy. And I can remember standing behind the pulpit and seeing all the faces staring up in anger. Like, what is he going to say that, that, that could help me feel better about my friend who was murdered? We want vengeance. We want vengeance, and we want it now. What are you going to do? And so all I could do is preach the love of Christ to them. Preach the love of the Lord to them. And of all those people, I had two people later on come tell me that they started going to church. They realized how delicate and life is nothing but a vapor, that they would come to know Christ through her death. The rest of them wanted vengeance. The rest of them are still acting the way they normally act before all of this tragedy happens. And so when the bodies that we carry get cancer, or the bodies that we carry that we get older, it's going to deteriorate. Our bodies will fail us. That's what happens. But that's why we have a Savior. Because Jesus teaches in Matthew 10, verse 28, do not fear him who could kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather, fear him who is able to, draw, to destroy both body and soul and cast you into hell. So, we know that there's evil in this world and God uses this evil because it ultimately brings him glory. It brings him glory because through actions of evil, which God is not the author of, but he uses it for his greater glory. He uses it for his greater good. Romans 8.28, what does that teach us? 
And we know that all things work together for him, for them who, yes, and are called according to what? His purpose. Are called according to his purpose. Well, what are those things? Those things are not, those things are serious things. It's death, it's disease, it's car accidents, it's crisis, it's travesty, travesty, it's all types of calamities in the world that you get. And God uses that for his greater glory. Because through the tragedies, people come to Christ. And he uses it. And he uses it just like he used that for Santiago and 9-11. Let's move on. Verse 8 says this. The voice, then the voice I heard from heaven spoke to me again saying, Go take the scroll that is open and the hand of the angel was standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said, take and eat. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. So the take and eat part is learning the word. And this is in, this is in reference to the old prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel was told by the angel of God to eat this book. And he ate it and the same effect happened. It was sweet and then it became bitter in his stomach. So to take and eat really is for all of you here is to learn the word of God. You take it and you eat it. Eat the word of God. And it says it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. Sweet as honey is like feeding on the truth. Feeding on the truth of God's word. Verse 10, And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and language and kings. Now, the people that, the, 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 the vision that you get here is, I take the word of God and I, I take it and I eat it. I learn it, I study it, and then I, I share it. And then when I do share it and it's ineffective and I know that it's, we win anyway, but whether we preach, whether people receive it or not, we still win. But when we see others that are not receptive of it, we get, we get bitter in our stomach because we, we feel for them. We have loved ones that we love, that we want to see saved. But when you see them unresponsive to the gospel, when you see them unresponsive to the transformation that happened in your life, you get bitter in your stomach. You're like, what are you doing? Why don't, why don't you see what, what God is doing here in my life? Why don't you see what Christ has done for you? And yet you get bitter in your life and you get angry. And you get this bitterness. But our job is to take and eat the word of God and to preach the word of God and to share the word of God boldly. But for you young people and dealing with why evil happens, I have to read this to you. And this is for you. This is the witnessing part because next week we're going to talk about the two witnesses, the two witnesses and who those two witnesses are. And if you ever watched movies from TBN you think you might know who the two witnesses are and the teachings about the two witnesses but for you young people here today this was something written by a man of God that I, I love to listen to his name was Vody Bakum and he wrote this and sometimes my son would have them back there and this is a track for you young people to listen to uh, to read but I want you to listen here this morning culture tells you culture because I know a lot of you struggle with believing who God is and so we 
have an incredible challenge with your young people because if we ask you the question, who is Jesus? Many of you don't even know who he is. And I don't know why that is, but I would assume making assumptions and making assumptions is probably never a good thing. But being young, and I was young once, and I didn't get saved till I was 29, but I remember hearing the gospel message during my teen years, the Assemblies of God, white bus in the projects. They would drive by, and the only time we ever got on that bus was to get the free lunch after church because we didn't eat very much. We were very poor. My mom's not here, is she? She took off. Praise the Lord. Mama took off. But we were very poor, so we got on that bus just to have lunch. But we did hear the message, but we never paid attention. Kind of like you guys sometimes don't do, you don't pay attention. And we didn't pay attention. And, but culture tells you this, and this is what he writes. You ask, who am I? Have many of you young people ever asked, who are you, why you're here? What am I here for? Culture tells you this isn't the word of God. This is what culture tells you. This is what they teach you in school. This is what sometimes your best friend teaches you and other people will teach you. They'll, tell you. they'll teach you this very thing. You are an accident. You're a mistake. You are a glorified ape. Why? Because they believe in evolution, that we evolved from apes. You are the result of random evolutionary, the revolutionary process. That's it. No rhyme, no reason. That's why you're here. And he continues, this is the pathetic reality when evolution runs its full course. If the idea is carried to its logical conclusion, human beings have no value. You are ultimately just nothing. So why am I here? Why am I here? Here's the part that you probably will agree with. We say, why am I here, you young people? Go to the mall. Why do you go to the mall? You go to the mall to consume things that you can't even afford. You are here to consume and enjoy. That's the only thing that matters. When the famous philanthropist John D. Rockefeller was asked, how much money is enough? He was as honest as any man has ever been. He responded, just a little bit more. Consume and enjoy. That's why you're here. Buy more clothes. Buy more cars. Buy more iPods. Buy more laptops. Buy more shoes. That's why you're here. Consume as much as you possibly can. What is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world that you may ask this very thing? What is wrong with the world? Why does God allow evil? People are either insufficiently uneducated, educated, or governed. That's what's wrong with the world. People either don't know enough or they're not being watched enough. That's it. What's wrong with the world? We have to, we're not watching our kids. We're not watching what they listen to. We're not watching what they do. We're not watching who they're listening to. That's what's wrong with the world. And so if we watch what they listen to and we watch what they see and we monitor them, maybe we'll help them. Maybe we, that's all we need to do. Educate them. But that's it? No, you give them, make them go to church. Make them go to church. You don't get a choice. Get up and go to church. Problem is, you kids get a choice. You ain't got no choice. No, no, no. You get 18 and you make a choice. You pay your own rent, pay your bills, and do all that. Then you can decide to come to church or not. It's up to you. But you then won't be living with mom and dad to say that. You'll be living on your own and you can decide whether you're going out. That's where we 
are scared as parents because when they hit this part, then you really wonder, will they even come to church now? Will they even come to church? They're out the house now. They're living somewhere else. Will they come to church on their own? So how can what is wrong be made right? Now here's the other one. The solution is more education and more government. That's what the solution to American culture is. That's why if you decide to apply for a job online, all of a sudden you got all kinds of schools hitting you up. More education. You need more education. You need more loans. You don't know enough. That's what you need. It's the American way. Teach people more stuff and give them more information. How do we combat AIDS? Do AIDS awareness. How do we combat racism? Anti-hate classes. What about the man who beats his wife? Anger management classes. Just give people more information and everything will be fine. The answers provided by our culture leaves us wanting and empty. Let's now take a look at how God's word, the Bible, answers these same questions. Just give me a moment. It says, who am I? You know what culture says about you? You're from the evolutionary process. We're here from nothing. And we are nothing because a big bang happened and we are nothing. This is what evolution teaches us. But what does the Bible say about this very thing? You cannot figure out who you are until you first discover who Jesus Christ is. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. By him, all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 16. He is the exact representation of God. He is the picture of God in human flesh. He is God on this earth. He is God with us. He is God among us. The Bible says that I'm created by God in his image and his likeness. Not the result of random process. The Bible says that whether I am tall, I'm beautiful or small, not so handsome, whether my body functions perfectly or is severely deformed, I am the crowning glory of the creation of God. And as a result, I inherit dignity, worth, and value. You are valued. Why are you here then? Why are you here? All things were created through him and for him, and in everything he might be preeminent. The ultimate purpose of all things for you is to bring the glory and honor to Jesus Christ. That's why you exist. That is why you exist. And because of this, contrary to the view of culture, the reason for my existence goes far beyond consumption and enjoyment. Amen. What's wrong with the world? Why does God allow evil? You know what's wrong with the world? You are. I am. We're sinners. Despite the fact that we are the crown and glory of the creation of God, created to live and bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are instead hostile and disobedient toward the one by whom and for whom we were created. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Bible calls this disobedience toward God sin. And it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In short, sin is what's wrong with the world. So how can we make it right for the last minute? What is wrong can only be made right by the substitutionary atoning death of Jesus Christ. He has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless to his father. To his father. Above reproach, there is no other, no other means 
by which we can be made right with God. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we may we must be saved. Amen. Amen. That's culture versus the Bible. This is what the Bible teaches you and who you are. That's why God does allow evil. It's ultimately for his glory. It's for his glory. It brings sinners to repentance. And then it scatters those who turn to God in bitterness and resentment. Let us pray.